There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com. Your weekend home for all things sports. This is The Grill on Dubai Eye 103.8. Live from Barasti. Here's Tom Urquhart. Indeed we are. We're live down here at Barasti and this is The Grill with you through until 6 o'clock this evening. Three hours of uninterrupted sport for you as we broadcast live from Barasti. If you're in the vicinity, if you're round and about, if you fancy uh, coming on down, joining what is a great atmosphere. It's been a brilliant atmosphere down here throughout the course of this Rugby World Cup and with three big games uh, on the agenda uh, throughout the course of today. We've had big crowds down here at Barasti. Uh, we'll give you an update on that. That is uh, the Rugby World Cup, third and final of the three games ongoing uh, in this particular uh, on the, at, at the moment so we'll have an update uh, for you on that, uh, on that one in a few moments time Premiership Rugby Cup also underway back in the UK Guinness Pro 14 action for you and the top 14 returns today as well so rugby fans well catered for football though well if you're looking for your, somewhere to watch your football a little later on come on down here to Barasti we've got Brighton against Tottenham as your early kickoff in the English Premier League there's also an early over in the Championship Fulham taking on Charlton there an early down in Spain where Leganes take on Levante and an early over in Italy where Spal are taking on Parma. Uh, lots of cricket as well, India against South Africa, Ireland against the Netherlands, Pakistan against Sri Lanka, uh, plus updates from the China Open and the world of tennis as the stars of tennis uh, head to Beijing for the latest on the tours there. Spanish Open goal for you uh, and the wonderfully named Triners Hospitals for Children Open stateside. World Championship Athletics not that far from here, week five of the NFL and the small matter of a grand final in the NRL. That's what's going on today. You are listening to uh, The Grill. We're live from Barasti where the game is always on. You're listening to The Grill. Join the conversation. Text 4001 or message us for free on the Dubai Eye 103.8 app. Three games in the Rugby World Cup. The third and last of them is uh, underway at present. We're watching it on the big screen down here at Barasti. So if you are in the vicinity, do come on down and be part of it. You can send your thoughts to us at any point throughout the show. Just text us on 4001. But equally, you can also have your say online at Dubai Eye 1038 FM, hashtag Dubai Eye 103. And at Dubai Eye Sports as well. Uh, who should we turn to to get thoughts on all things rugby? It's been a busy old day for rugby fans. We're going to hear from England rugby fan uh, Robbie Greenford in a few moments' time. But uh, the shy, retiring uh, sensibilities of Mr. Mark Archer, a passionate Kiwi uh, All Black fan is with us as well today. Good to have you on your board, Arch. Afternoon, Tom. Afternoon, Robbie. And afternoon, listeners. Yeah, the, the Rugby World Cup just holding up. We're two weeks in and we're towards the final stages of, of the pool play to work out who's going to be playing who in the, in the quarterfinals and all the permutations. So it's been a great event to date. Massive upset uh, a week or so ago with Japan upsetting one of the pre-tournament favourites, Ireland. And that's really thrown a spanner in the works of planning who's going to be playing who in the quarterfinals. But uh, Big wins today, and we'll go over them uh, shortly. Good win for England against a 14-man Argentina. 39-10 to 10 was the final score for England. And earlier this morning, it was Australia secured a bonus point victory to go top of Pool D in Oata. They defeated Uruguay 45 points to 10. Live on the big screen here at Barasti, it's Japan versus Samoa. And haven't Japan done well? And they've taken advantage of a Samoan yellow card for a dangerous tackle. They've just scored their first try of the match. For 30 minutes gone in this match, Japan 16, Samoa 6. If Japan wins today, it goes a long way towards securing a quarterfinal spot for the hosts. And that'll be an amazing achievement for, for what you could fairly term minnows in the Rugby World Cup. So Japan 16-6, they lead Samoa after 30 minutes. 
Rob, it's been interesting, isn't it? Because uh, we were uh, obviously have been reflecting on that extraordinary victory for Japan, the hosts against Ireland uh, last weekend, which, as Arch was saying, set the cat amongst the pigeons. Um, this, this has been a very well-received tournament. It's been a very well-attended tournament as well. I don't think I've seen an empty seat in any uh, of the stadiums uh, that have been used. But it's just great to see that the, the team are coming to the party as well, adding to that atmosphere. Yeah, I mean, you need the home side to make a great World Cup in any sport, whether it's football, rugby or whatever, I think you need something from the home side. We saw that with Russia last year in 2018, knocking Spain out of the Football World Cup. And I guess this was second time in a row for Japan after the 2015 victory over South Africa. When are we going to stop being so shocked by, by victories for the Japanese on the, on the international scale? So yes, they're minnows, yes, they're an emerging nation, but they're clearly a very talented side as well. And if one of the big nations, one of the established teams is a little bit off their game, we've seen that Japan have the ability and the talent to take advantage of that. But for me, I mean, the only criticism I would level at the World Cup thus far, it's a scheduling one. We talked about the Cricket World Cup with the group of 10. It just hasn't quite got going because of the, the flow of games. I don't know what your thoughts on that, Arch. I know, and I'm, I'm cognizant of the fact that these are very physical encounters, that the players need a little bit of time to, uh, to get ready for the next match. But having blank days in the group stages of a World Cup, in any World Cup, to me, is, is a momentum loser. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you. The, the point being, you know, usually international rugby matches, you have a full seven-day break. You won't play an international match. They say these matches are basically like taking in car collisions. And so the, the recovery is very important, particularly if you have big matches week, week in, week out. And so that some, of the, some of the teams have been able to rotate their squad and, and, and give guys different minutes to try and look ahead, a game ahead, so they can balance the, the teams. But if you've got, to say, a four-day turnaround, I think the shortest you can do is like a four-day turnaround. It's extremely difficult to manage your workload, give play, and in, all, in this day and age, we've seen so much about player um, welfare. welfare. I think giving players a, a rest, giving the teams who can rotate in and out of their squad, it, that, that's at the end of the event, attrition will play a part in who, who's there in the quarterfinal, semifinal, and final stage. So I think it's a fine balance, but I do get your point. But again, with rugby, it's so, so difficult to, yeah. um, with not having a seven day turnaround, to be able to mix and match players. And, the teams with the better squads are the teams that are going to obviously, obviously progress. And some of the teams who we've seen uh, a, a lot of uh, yellow cards and red cards. One earlier today, um, and there might be, might be another issue in this match now, we've seen a yellow card to the Samoan player, Ioni. So it's been so tough when you've got suspensions, you've got squad, squad rotation and trying to balance the squad. But do get your point, Robbie, to get momentum. But we're, not far, we're only a week or so away, a week, a week and a half away from quarterfinals it's knockout rugby then and I guess it'll all come through in the quarterfinals semi-final and finals of this, of this event yeah Owen Farrell was talking about the importance of each member of the 31-man England squad and we saw that with Tom the, the strength off the bench for England a little earlier in that victory over Argentina Luke Cowan Dickey going over the try line Jack now that was a, a kind of he it was weird the way he just bounced off about four <laughs> Argentinian players and went over the corner just for the final try to put a bit of gloss on that game but that was, uh, that was pretty impressive, I thought, from England, bar a couple of minutes in the, yeah. in the second half where they, they seemed to switch off after the, the game looked won. Argentina then came back into it and England slammed the door quite emphatically in the end. Yeah, I'm not sure. I was not convinced. I thought they looked good at the beginning. Uh, I think the red card probably ruined the game. This yeah. is England's victory against Argentina earlier on. Um, I, I think you look at the final score as well, 39-10, it, it sort of flatters to deceive a little bit because of those two late tries, which had a little bit of gloss. I just felt that England sort of lost the plot a bit in the, in, in the second half. And I wonder whether this is something to do, and I know this is something we discussed last week um, about 
the playing conditions. I mean, a lot of these games have not been one-sided affairs because we've seen a lot of teams perform very well in one half and then just go completely off the boil in another. And I was, in, I was talking to Apollo Perolini about this yesterday. He said, um, you know, a lot of people, a lot of the, the, the pundits have underestimated the playing conditions. It's very, very hot there at the moment. It's very, very humid. And we all know when that happens, what, uh, what the, the handling becomes an issue. And yeah. every single game, I felt, has been blighted by just fundamental bad handling errors. No, you did right. And they basically are playing in some closed stadiums and the humidity, I think in, in the, the weather in Tokyo and in, in, in Japan now is in the high 20s with a humidity factor up over 60%. So it, the ball is slippery. It's almost akin to playing wet weather rugby. Yeah. And what tends to happen is the team that's got more possession is making more mistakes because they're forced to, to, to carry the ball more. You see a lot of knock-ons, particularly in the collisions. But what will happen is the better teams with the better skill rates are the teams that are going to win matches because they, they won't turn the ball over as much. They'll handle the ball in, in basically wet weather conditions and they'll basically take the skills will be a factor. It's almost, and some of the Southern Hemisphere teams are used to playing in hot and humid conditions. You look at the Northern Hemisphere teams, it's usually when it's wet or raining or windy, they come into their own. But the teams, the teams, the games have been quite open yeah. for me and that's probably encouraged more handling errors. So in some ways, it's, it's just because the ball's become so greasy. We saw um, <laughs> Bowden Barrett, one of the arguably the players of the tournament, one of the best players in the world, have a clean break against uh, Canada a couple of days ago and basically spilled the bill. He, he ran from halfway and I think he was pretty tired in the 79th minute, but the ball just popped out like a bar of soap and he, he, he lost it. But, you know, you, you talk about England today, look, you know, what, that, that match was over as a contest with that sending off of the Argentinian lock, Thomas Lavini. Your when, thoughts it, on that? Was it a sending off? Uh, yeah, you, you, you can't, I mean, they've been very clear and the refereeing's been an interesting talking point in the Rugby World Cup. First, first few games we saw a, a lot of decisions not made or referees afraid to make a decisions on this and then I think the World Rugby's come out openly criticised the referees, they've turned it around now and said there'll be, no there'll be no tolerance of high tackles, of dangerous tackles, of shoulder charges, of anything that's going to go near the neck or head is going to be penalised and then you've got yellow cards and you've got red cards pretty much by the letter of the law and the referees and the, the TMOs have been, been, been very strict and gone by the letter of the law so but you know, a 14-man contest in, in a rugby match versus 15, it's almost over as a, as, a, as a fair contest. And that's what happened today. You know, Engl England led that match 15-3 at half-time. They kind of puffed and grumbled their way to that, that victory. You know, the first half tries, Johnny May, Elliot Daly, and then Ben Youngs. Gave them a pretty comfortable le lead, but against 14 men, it was over as a contest. Argentina weren't going to come into that. And a strange off day with the boot from Owen Farrell. Yeah, it was interesting with Owen Farrell because he was the player that had the high shot that had, a, had a, a knock, a, a shoulder charge to the neck and to the head, and then he missed four consecutive kicks, which is very unlike Owen Farrell, who kicks well over 80, 85% in Test Match Rugby. And so the question was, and a lot of people were asking it, particularly pundits saying, is why didn't he go off for HIA? You know, a compulsory challenge to the head. Did he, he should have maybe gone off for HIA. Maybe he was a bit dazed, maybe he was a bit uh, taken aback by that challenge, yet he didn't go off and do a compulsory HIA. So I, I don't know whether there was any symptoms from that, but he stayed on the field, missed those four kicks. He made a couple of kicks in the second half, but he, he really seemed to be struggling with his goal kicking, which is not something you associate with Owen Farrell. But England in the second half, I mean, tries again to George Ford, Jack Noll, good to see uh, him back from injury, and Luke Cowan-Dickey, who came on as a replacement at halfback for Ben Youngs. Um, made it a really comfortable win, 39 points to 10, for uh, England against Argentina. They're the first team to book their place in the quarterfinals. 
who we play we don't quite know yet because there's still a little bit depending on, on other matches and, and bonus points etc but a good win for England they'll be happy uh, we'll be interesting to see if there's any injuries um, to report after that match uh, Billy Vunapola went off half time with yeah. half time with a bit of a strain or a niggle and he's been a player Joe Marler seemed to be struggling a bit when he came off I so, know it was a replacement anyway but so that's a, that's a massive factor now but England have another big match next weekend they do get seven days they play France and that match will probably decide first or second in that pool France have been going under the radar a little bit. No one's really talking about them, but we do know they do have pedigree in, in the World Cups. And, you know, that's going to be a real test. For, England, for me, England have done in the, in the matches what they've had to do. They haven't really been tested yet. I want to see what, how they perform under a little bit of pressure when there's some close scoreboard matches going into the final 20 minutes to really judge where England are at. But Eddie Jones will be happy. Three from three. Pretty comfortable wins. Got his bonus points. Got a few players playing. Got a few players back from injury. He'll be, he'll be, he'll be afraid of the French because you never quite know what you're going to get. But that match, both teams may have gone through to the quarterfinals at that stage as well. But uh, man of the match today was uh, the England flanker, Sam Underhill. This is what he said after the match with his man of the match performance. Well, the MasterCard player of the match from England, Sam Underhill. Mate, just tell me how physical is that one, my mate? Yeah, uh, properly physical. Uh, you know, we know... Argentina obviously uh, a physical side and they obviously pride themselves in their forward play so some were expecting and they did disappoint yeah and some of those exchanges was a bit spicy too wasn't it yeah um, you know it's to be expected it's a physical game and they're uh, you know they're a proud side and so are we so um, it's all part and parcel of the game but you know you shake hands afterwards and it's all good so yeah. as a forward pack do you give yourselves a pass mark on that performance Second, sorry as a forward pack do you give yourself a pass mark on that performance tonight yeah, like, there's always stuff to improve, but um, by and large, I thought it was pretty good. Uh, there's an awful lot of good stuff in there, so you know, a bit of accuracy and a bit of execution stuff, and I think we'll, uh, we'll be away. Without further ado, I'd just like to welcome in Makuru, a standoff here at uh, Tokyo, just to present the MasterCard player of the match, the Sam Mundhill. This is The Grill, live from Barasti, where the game is always on. Let's get over to the rugby very quickly and get a score update. Uh, Mark Archer is watching Japan, the host, taking on Samoa. Yeah, big match for Japan. Giant killers last week when they defeated Ireland, and they are taking on Samoa today. A win today for Japan will almost see them assured of a good chance of making the quarterfinals. It's, it's, it's just blowing half time in Japan in this match, and I can tell you that the hosts are leading Samoa 16 points to 9. It was all around the yellow card to the Samoan player Ioni. It was a dangerous tackle. Japan capitalised. They scored a try to Timothy, Timothy uh, Lafale, which meant they lead 16 points to 6. Samoa have stayed in the match by kicking three penalties, but at half-time, Japan leads Samoa 16 points to 9. Wins earlier today for England against Argentina, and a good win for Australia against Uruguay, 45 points to 10. Opportunity for us to uh, catch our breath whilst the players catch their breath in the change rooms at half-time and turn our attention to uh, the world of football. Why? Because one game underway over in Spain at the moment sees all the L's going at it. Laganas taking on Levante. No goals in that one. Uh, 15 minutes played. And we're about uh, just over 10 minutes away from kickoff in the English Premier League. Brighton taking on Tottenham. Robbie Greenfield's taking a look at some of the team news for us on that. Yeah, certainly have. And it's an interesting one, this, because it pits Tottenham Hotspur, who are, let's be honest, after that thrashing midweek at the Champions League at the hands of Bayern Munich, in a bit of a bad spot. Mauricio Pochettino wears the look of a beleaguered man. Just a few months ago, mm. Spurs were in the Champions League final. How quickly things can change mm. in football. And a lot of debate about his future, a lot of debate about what's been going on behind the scenes at Tottenham as they have suffered a fairly mediocre by their high standard start to the new season. But Brighton and the game today at the Amex Stadium, well, they have not won in any of their 16 league outings prior. 
drawn six and lost nine have Brighton. So if any team Spurs could choose to go up against today in order to bounce back from that 7-2 defeat, it probably would be Brighton and Hove Albion. Let's start with them. Matthew Ryan's in goal. Adam Webster, Lewis Dunk and Dan Byrne across the back three. Martin Montoya, Pascal Gross, Dale Stevens and Aaron Moy and Stephen Alzate are, uh, are the midfield five with Neil Malpay and Aaron Connolly up front for Brighton. Spurs have Hugo Lloris in goal, Musa Sissoko, Toby Alderweireld, Jan Vertonghen and Ben Davies across the back four. It's Christian Eriksen, Eric Dyer, and Tangoy Endombele in the midfield three and a front three of Son Heung-min, Eric Lamella and of course the main man for Tottenham Hotspur, Harry Kane uh, at the top of that diamond and it'll be Tottenham Hotspur looking to bounce back against Brighton Hove Albion at the Amex Stadium. That's the early kickoff. It gets underway in about 15 minutes, Tom. Pochettino's men looking for their first away league win in 10 matches now. It does sort of beg the question, doesn't it? I know that they are putting on a brave face at the moment, saying, no, the players are behind me and I'm behind the players, etc. But that old saying, and you know, it won't be the first and won't be the last cliche you hear on this show over the next couple of hours, but there ain't no smoke without fire. Mm. And something's happening there. Something's gone wrong. Yeah, it doesn't take much, uh, and there's there's talk, obviously, of uh, if you agree with the spurious and the kind of uh, and the somewhat lurid gossip. Every time. Yeah, and I know uh, we, we've got we, we've got colleagues who enjoy partaking in a bit of that. Um, you know, there's been various uh, you, you know um, uh, indiscretions. Is that the word that we can use here um, between some of the players and, and and some of the players' partners as well? Now, I don't know. That's been vehemently denied by the two men at the centre of that storm, and that, of course is Christian Eriksen and Jan Vertonghen. That has been vehemently denied. I think Mauricio Pochettino, it's sort of Arsenal syndrome from a few years back, moving into the Emirates Stadium. They've moved into this all-singing, all-dancing new stadium. Harry Kane is a traditional slow starter, and once again, we, we've not seen him at his sharpest, and they do rely on his goals, do Tottenham. And it doesn't take much for just a few players to go off the boil. You know, they, they've sold a couple of players. Delhi Ali's form has dropped off a cliff and all of a sudden they don't look like the side that they were last season and uh, and trouble is afoot and there are people lining up there are clubs lining up who I'm sure would be happy to take Mauricio Pochettino I know a lot of Manchester United fans are hopeful that he one day makes his way to Old Trafford Real Madrid well they could be parting company with Zinedine Zidane if they keep going the way they are in the start of this new later, season I think they've got a game at six o'clock I, I think they do I mean Jose Mourinho waiting in the wings to swoop in and mop things up if, if things do go wrong and, and they do part company with Zinedine Zidane but Mauricio Pochettino's stock is still high it's just that at the moment Tottenham Hotspur look a shadow of the side that they were even just a few months ago when they made the Champions League final arch I mean that's a that's a tremendously disappointing result midweek 7-2 <laughs> against Bayern Munich their biggest defeat I think in in in, in history uh, yeah. that can see that many goals and I think this has been a number of factors that's been boiling over not just not just over recent weeks but this is something that's a culmination of a lot of factors we've had you know the new stadium and, and the issues regarding moving into that last year one issue the reinvestment of players and 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 and, and levy and the board spending on on on, on strengthening the squad we've seen it over a number of years that hasn't really happened to to the fans pleasure they haven't done what they want to do there they haven't built on their successes uh, Christian Eriksen going into his final year of contract he hasn't been sold he wants to le obviously leave or, or capitalize on this free agency he hasn't got a new contract that's an issue Pochettino rumors to go to a bigger club whether it be Real Madrid at some stage that's been that's been lingering as well and I think if you add up all those different elements something's not right in the dressing room there's, there's things that there's a, a level of discomfort there behind the scenes which is now reflecting the play on the pitch 
and all those things are sort of culminating in, in inconsistent performances. This is one of the, I mean, arguably the, the coach of the year last year, taking Spurs to a, to a Champions League final, finishing third in the Premier League. He excelled expectations, Pochettino and that, and that, and that Tottenham team. Yet they, they are struggling for any sort of consistency this year. And I think it's a, it's a culmination of all those different factors now coming out in their performances. Yeah, and, and once you get into a bad rut, it's very difficult, as we've seen, to haul oneself out of it. But Brighton are the perfect opponents for top four Tottenham in this game. Kicks off in about six minutes or so because they've not won in yeah. 16 league outings. I mean, that's... And it's a difficult one for us, isn't it? Because, you know... I've suddenly got a bit of a soft spot for Brighton. I've never had a soft spot for Brighton, but I suddenly have because Graham Potter's there, and we know that there's a sort of relationship between Chris McCarthy and all things Graham Potter. <laughs> there is, yes. And so therefore, I've, I've, I've not really been able to work that one out. Yeah, but I've never worked it out myself, so in his absence, <laughs> we could talk about it. Uh, but th th there is, and therefore, I've been keeping an eye on them. And he did such a good job previously uh, with, with, with other teams that he's worked with. I sort of will Brighton on a, uh, to a certain degree under the Graham Potter uh, 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 regime at present. But the question is going to be, I mean, how long are they going to last? Uh, allow, allow this to go on? Yeah, they've not been good. It's tough. They've not been good. And, and you just have to wonder, you know, are Neil Malpe and Aaron Connolly really Premier League standards as, as an attacking force? I mean, they've got some decent midfield talent. Pascal Gross is a player that can make things happen. Aaron Moy is a workhorse as well. But, you know, man for man, they are one of the weaker teams yeah. in the Premier League. And no real surprise to see them languishing in the table. 16... 16th in the table, uh, seven games played, and the six points accrued through six draws, believe it or not. Yeah, I know. Um, it's it's, it's going to be a fascinating game, this one, because uh, we've spoken already about the, 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 the Zidane issue uh, over at Real Madrid, and he will have his head firmly on the block a little later on in that six o'clock kickoff in the Premier. I, I would say similarly about Pochettino with this particular game, if things don't go according for Pan, for uh, Tottenham, uh, Daniel Levy, the board, uh, Tottenham fans are not the sort of patient type. You know, they were looking to make a change. Oh, surely I would have thought Pochettino's got some, uh, got, a, got a bank balance there of credit before um, it'd be a very sort of uh, hasty decision, you would have thought, by Spurs, who spend, who spend, seem to deliberate in the transfer market. They seem to be pretty calculated with their managers. I mean, if they got rid of Pochettino, where would they go? Yeah, I mean, how this do you early improve on season, Pochettino at this point? Exactly, and I, I just think that he's built up a fair amount of credit from his performance in the last couple of seasons that, that he's got to give them some time I, to try and right the ship. I, I get that. I, 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 get th I think it's too early in the season to pull out the warning bells for, for Spurs. I get that. And you, look, I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm the first one to criticise the sort of knee-jerk reactions of managers being sacked after a couple of bad results, uh, which seems to be endemic in the Premier League at present. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with a bit of bad form. OK, yeah, Spurs were on top of their game. They're extraordinary form at the end of last season. They've just had a really slow, slow start. However, if we're going to go down the road of these spurious uh, yeah. reasons and rumours that are doing the rounds at present, uh, that's a sort of failing of Pochettino and the team not to manage that more professionally at present. If that is a schism, then that's something that needs to be addressed. Well, yeah, I think, um, and we don't know exactly what's gone on behind the scenes, but if there's come to a point where a, a, a key relationship, whether that be between Pochettino and Daniel Levy, whether that be between, between some of the players and Mauricio Pochettino, if that has become untenable, yeah. then, uh, then something has to give. And I, I kind of agree with Arch. I mean, Mauricio Pochettino is is one of the best managers in world football. He's, in, he's probably in the top five by common consensus. And for Tottenham, who I think 
are, are almost, it's a, it's a strange way to say it, lucky to have him. Yeah. Um, and, and they're going to be struggling. They're going to be fending off the likes of Real Madrid, the likes of Manchester United, in, in, you know, if, if they're able to keep hold of him uh, to, to, to uh, secure his services. But as you say, it's difficult when personal relationships come into it and perhaps he's not happy about the way that the board have gone about restructuring. He spoke quite lengthily about the fact that reaching a Champions League final and ultimately losing to Liverpool was the closing of a chapter. Now the onus is on Tottenham to open and begin a new chapter. They sold Kieran Trippier. You know, they, they've, they've seen a couple of their players have dips in form. Harry Kane hasn't quite been his potent self that he was towards the end of last season as well. He's, he's a notoriously slow starter for, for a long period of time. He'd never scored a Premier League goal in August. And, uh, you know, it, I think it's just the case of it doesn't take much... And if there have been a few altercations among the players, if, if there have been things going on behind the scenes to upset the harmony in the dressing room, that can have a very swift impact on results. And let's see, I'm really intrigued. Yeah. I think the, the point that Chris McCarty made actually during the week was that everything that Bayern Munich hit went in, in that match. They scored seven goals, but literally they were, hit, they were hitting shots speculatively, speculatively they were flying in. It was almost every attack they seemed to yeah. score. And that was a, a result that was... Yes, when you look at it, it's shocking. It reverberates around the world. But it was one of those funny instances in football, perhaps, where, you know, in another game, they might have only scored three or four goals. And yeah. it, it wouldn't have been such a shocking result. It would have been maybe a, a 4-2 or a 3-2. The 7-2 certainly raised eyebrows. And it's going to be really fascinating to see how Spurs, against a Brighton team who are on the rocks, how, how they can respond. And we're just Brighton a minute or so away from kickoff. We're on the big screen here. And Mauricio Pochettino has come out. A warm embrace for Graham Potter. The, the Brighton manager and uh, let's see what happens and transpires it's, it's an intriguing early kick off this one Brighton Hove Albion at the Amex Stadium hosting Tottenham Hotspur where are those Spurs fans out there at the moment want to hear from you text your thoughts to 4001 uh, no Danny Rose uh, he has been dropped not even on the subs bench at the moment for Spurs as well so Danny Rose uh, the man who's been out of bit form hasn't really been uh, at the races over the last couple of weeks but cometh the hour cometh the man uh, Eric Dyer, the man who's been called upon to deliver a little stability for Spurs uh, in this early kickoff in the Premier League. I'm um, not sure how well we've sold it, really. Two teams are badly out of form at present, going head to head. It's going to probably be a belter, surely. I think it probably will. That's the thing. There's going to be goals in this. There were nine in Tottenham's last game, so I think we've got a chance. Although, albeit Brighton, Hove, Albion, and not Bayern Munich, it's fair to say. <laughs> it, it will but be I interesting in this match, though, just to see how Spurs do bounce back from that midweek. Uh, thrashing and see if they can really get on the front foot here and put some pressure on Brighton. And Brighton, of course, will be well, pretty well rested and obviously a tough match for uh, Spurs travelling away uh, to Germany during the week. So can they respond? Do, they have some big big match players, don't they? So you expect them, some of those guys to step up. The likes of uh, Harry Kane and uh, Hongmin Son actually really step up and, and, and put in a performance uh, of their class. Christian Eriksen, we know, is a world-class player. So the, the test of Spurs now about where they're at is how do they respond to that, that midweek thrashing? Yeah, Brighton are the draw specialists as well, so they're going to look to try and contain the Tottenham threat, you'd have to expect, and, and can stay in a pretty compact shape. Although, as we know, Graham Potter, and I've heard this many times from the Chris McCarty uh, PR bandwagon for Mr Graham Potter, he <laughs> likes to play attractive football, he likes to keep the ball on the ground, he likes to play a passing, progressive game. So that's what... Uh, that's what Spurs are up against, and uh, it's going to be fascinating to see how it I unfolds. Think, I think that's the, that's the point, isn't it, about Graham Potter? That's what he wants to do. You know, if you're going to be uber-critical, has he got the squad to be able to do that? 
against the opposition that he's coming up against in the Premier League week on week. Well, managers with those philosophies with limited squads do have a, a decision to make and a, and a tightrope to walk as to how pragmatic they're willing to be, particularly against big sides who are capable of punishing them. But um, our Tottenham in the form right now uh, that, uh, that would see them heavily punish Brighton for any expansive play. We're about to find out. We're one yeah. minute, 30 seconds into this game and um, yeah, no, no chances as yet falling to either side, but we're keeping a close eye on it. Keep an eye on that one. And of course, uh, talking all things sport. We'll take a short break when we come back. We're around the grounds. This is The Grill, live from Barasti, where the game is always on. So I think the words that Robbie Greenfield used said, it's going to be a really interesting game. I'm expecting goals in this one. Uh, has there been a goal? Well, there's certainly been drama. There certainly has, and an, all, an awful lot of drama. Brighton have opened the scoring, and the goal has gone rather gleefully to Neil Malpe, who was on hand to mop up some confusion in the Spurs penalty area. Hugo Lloris failed to parry a cross that came in. It should, it looked like a routine catch. He parried it, he fell awkwardly. He's actually fallen and looked, seems to have twisted his arm in, in what was a very, very bad fall. The Frenchman's still on the ground and still receiving treatment from the medical team is Lloris. So Spurs are gonna have to make a change, I think, in the goalkeeping front. Neil Malpe was on hand to hit the ball into an empty net and Brighton lead after just four and a half minutes of this game. They lead uh, and to make matters even worse for Tottenham, they are going to lose their keeper who has been uh, one of their finest players in recent times, a man who leads from the backers, well captains this side and uh, has been uh, come to the, the rescue of Spurs on so many occasions. He's not playing any more part in this. And I'd be surprised if we see him for the next few months after what I seem to be. And this is not, you know, my medical knowledge you can write on the back of a fag packet. But uh, this is, I think he's broken his arm in this, in this fall. Yeah, let's not beat around the bush here. This is, this is looking like a terrible, could be an arm fracture for Hugo Lloris. And, uh, He's taking oxygen here, he's in a lot of pain, he's got four or five medical staff around him, and I wouldn't be surprised, and I don't, we don't want to start spring rooms, this could be the end of Hugo release the season, because if it is a broken arm or a fracture, he could miss for a, a numerous amount of time, and it looks like he's landed terribly. He did make a big blunder in goal there, it was a mistake, but then he fell backwards into his goal, the ball was basically presented uh, for, for, the, for the goal scorer for Brighton, but he's fallen back extremely awkwardly into the goal, yeah, and he, arm he, his arm way. has gone in a different direction, and if it could be, uh, as we say, a season-ending injury, the players they know. Uh, look, look, look mortified at, at Lloris, and it's not about the goal, it's actually about the injury to the Spurs uh, goalkeeper. So I think it's a compound fracture by the looks of uh, well, the he's, he's receiving he's oxygen. He's on a he's on a stretcher. He's receiving oxygen. I mean, it's yeah. It, this is uh, this is no this is no sprain. I mean, it, there's, there's no doubt that this is, this is a serious injury that we're going to keep uh, keep a close eye on to see if there's any news coming out of that. I doubt we'll get any until the end of this match. But the man replacing Hugo Lloris, Paolo Gazaniga, the Argentine goalkeeper has made just four appearances for Tottenham since signing for them in 2017. So the pressure immediately on his shoulders um, to try and, you know, put in a good performance in the absence of their main man, Hugo Lloris. But Mauricio Pochettino wears the look of a concerned man at the moment. As do a number of the Spurs players. That just ain't good for uh, team spirit and teamwork. We'll keep an eye on this one and any uh, updates we get on the 
uh, condition uh, of the Spurs goalkeeper, Hugleris, uh, and of course, uh, any other further goals we'll let you know about. What's happening in the rugby, meanwhile, Mark Archer? Yeah, second half has kicked off in the Rugby World Cup. Japan, the hosts, taking on Samoa. Halftime score was 16 points to six in favour of the host, Japan, and we're just underway in the second half. I can tell you that Samoa have just won a, a, a penalty, which they will have a shot for goal. Try, only try of the match was to the Samoan-born Tim, Timothy Lafale for Japan. Um, and, and basically came as the Samoans considered a yellow card. Ioni was sent to the Sinbin for a dangerous tackle on his Japanese counterpart, which went during that absence when the 14, with Samoa were down to 14 men, Japan capitalized and scored the try to Timothy, Timothy Lafale. So 16 points to nine, Japan lead, but Samoa have a kick, a, a very kickable penalty now, right in front of the posts and about 35 yards out. So I'll bring you bang up to date, Jama Samoa, Staying in the match, but Japan dominating at this stage. Uh, Fulham boss Scott Parker has made two changes from Tuesday's 4-1 win. A 10-man Reading, uh, Ivan Cavaliero and Steven Sessegnon come in for Bobby uh, de Cordova, Reed and Dennis Adoy. Uh, five new faces come into the Charlton side following their home defeat by Swansea midweek. Johnny Williams is in, Jake Forster Kasky is in, Darren Prattley's in, Chris Solly and Nabi Saar all start as well. That game's just got underway. Uh, no uh, goals to report of as yet, but there were goals last night. In fact, uh, championship action last night. Uh, Brisbane's getting underway on a Friday night with the cracker at St Andrews. Birmingham, Birmingham thought they'd thrown away three points when Daniel Ayala bundled in and deserved equaliser for Middlesbrough a few minutes from time. Uh, yesterday evening, uh, but uh, that wasn't today to be because the sub teenage substitute, in fact, uh, Odin Bailey, headed in a winner for Blues moments later to earn his side a dramatic victory. So uh, let's hope for more of the, of the same at Craven Cottage this afternoon. Uh, Birmingham, it's interesting. I always love that when we're looking at the, what's going on down in the Championship, and you see the likes of yeah, Birmingham in action last night, Fulham and Charlton in the early kickoff today. Are you sort of you know, here we are talking about the fortunes of uh, those in the Premier League and spare a thought for those that have slipped out of the Premier League yeah. and are really, really struggling at present in order to establish themselves in what we've also often heard before is the most competitive league in the world. Yeah, it's just a brutal league, isn't it? I mean, you look at Leeds, how good they were last season, failing to get out of the championship. And I know a lot of people are tipping them to do just that this time around, but most of those sides have once upon a time been Premier League clubs. Yeah. I think uh, I read a stat last season, I think 20 of the 24 sides in the championship were once upon a time. And you just go through them. I mean, Blackburn, QPR, Sheffield Wednesday, Wigan Athletic, Swansea City, Stoke City, West Brom, Cardiff. They've all been in the Premier League. <laughs> it's unbelievable. But uh, yeah, it is, a, as you say, Tom, it's, it's such a brutal, physical, competitive league as well. And the gap is closing in terms of quality. Uh, and that's what we've seen. It's, it's very difficult once you sink back into it to haul yourself up. It's no longer a case of certain clubs just being yo-yos from one division to the next. It's, it's anyone's game once you get in there. So, yeah, um, very, very competitive indeed. It's good to see, isn't it, Mark? I'm, I'm, the other thing that always strikes me about the championship, and we hear about uh, the uh, what they call parachute payments and the amount of, that, that, that it costs to get into the Premier League and the parachute payments you get when you get relegated, etc. Uh, but what, what, one thing I also take into account is is just how intense that league is in terms of the scheduling as well. Obviously, a few more teams in it than you'd find in the Premier League, but they, they constantly seem to be playing. Yeah, they seem to play every night of the week, don't they? Yeah. And uh, you would have thrown that their commitment's the same as many of the Premier League teams. They play in 
League Cup competitions from an earlier time in the season. They play in FA Cup competitions. Of course, they don't have the luxury of obviously playing in Europe like the top six or seven teams in the Premier League, but they seem to play week in, week out, two matches a week, yeah. pretty much to get through all the fixtures. Then you throw in the playoffs at the end of the season if you don't finish in the top two, and it's, a, it's such a tough league, you know, to really differentiate. And I'm sure there's not a lot of difference between the top you know, six to eight teams in there really vying for... For promotion relegation so it's a it's a tough league to um, get up to the, to the Premier League and you know it's, it's, it's a dog fight for those clubs leaving that league as well but you're saying the teams that get relegated from the Premier League have the benefit of those uh, parachute payments they, they, they get then get burdened with the bigger contracts as well but they seem to have a large squad so it's always really interesting to see who which teams come through what teams are the best organized in that league and it's it's just such a fascinating league to follow, yeah. you know, from, from a distance to see where, what's happening there, which teams have got the better funding or got the, the really ambitious clubs really wanting to get up the Premier League, really sort of going all in yeah. and, and, and investing in players. We've seen Derby County with Wayne Rooney, who's joining after his, I think yeah. his Major League Soccer season's done, but he's joining them as player coach in January. So a Wayne Rooney, Rooney, still in the prime of his career, or the peak of his career, the, the latter stages, let's, let's say, but that's a big investment for a, for a, for a first division team or, or a championship club to making someone like like Wayne Rooney coming out of out of MLS to come back. So there's a lot of ambition there between some of the owners, some of the clubs, and uh, it's, it's fascinating to watch it all unfold between the top sort of five or six clubs really jockeying for position there. It's almost as well, isn't it? I mean, I often look at it as, as you know, sort of almost project-based approaches by many of the club owners. You know, a lot of people will look at the Premier League and go, oh, I wouldn't mind a piece of that, given the profits, given the, uh, the eyeballs, given the figures, that the marketing figures that we see with the Premier League. So um, rather than go and pay the big bucks you'd need to get straight into the Premier League with a Premier Club, start a project, you know, start a project in the lower divisions, invest all your money there with a, what, a three, four, five-year plan to take that club up through the divisions into the Premier League. Because we're seeing so much big money being invested into championship sites. Is this the, the gem of an idea you're, you're putting forward? Because Beaconsfield Town, my, my, down my neck of the woods, I know are looking for new investment. But yeah, you're right. I think, I think there's, it's just very difficult. The, the money you need now to make a real difference, that not even Roman Abramovich can make much of a difference in the Premier League now. I mean, that was, there was a once upon a time where Abramovich came in what was it, 2003, he bought the club, um, uh, he bought Chelsea. You know, in those early years, he made a massive difference, whereas that's not really the case anymore. The kind of money that Chelsea was spending back then is chump change these days. Yeah, and you look at Chelsea, you look at Manchester City, you look at the, the money that Manchester United and, and Liverpool continue to invest in their, in their squads and in their teams. And there's no guarantee of success even with the huge investment. Just not, look at Manchester United. Not so ever. And you look at the clubs that have come up. Wolves are a good example who have come up and done well. Uh, in recent years, but they had to, the, the owners had to put a massive investment into that club to get them up and, and keep them up. And, and look, they've really flourished in the, in the last year. They've really, really performed well, haven't they? So, and you look at the teams that have come up this year. Norwich have had a pretty good start to the season. You know, a couple of good wins for them. Aston Villa, are, you know, it's going to be tough for them to, to really sort of crack and, and stay in the division as well. And, and Sheffield United have, uh, you know, surprised a few people with how, how well they've played. So the teams that are coming up. You know, whilst it's difficult it is to stay up there, have been competitive. They have competed pretty well this year at the start of the season, I think. I think the the emphasis, rather than the sort of the cash splashing of say 15 years ago, the pendulum has swung to scouting and youth systems. Yeah. I think that's the most important club structure. That's become the buzzword, and, and that's what Manchester United currently lack. It's what we've seen with Liverpool. It's what we've seen perhaps to the to the to the most effective degree with Manchester City, not just at Man City but in the City Football Group, 
actually buying properties, buying clubs around the world, whereby they can feed all the, the talented youngsters. And perhaps the ultimate end goal is to get someone who comes up through the MLS or whether they come up through somewhere else in the world that Manchester City have those vested interests and then actually move them on to the Manchester City first team. So I think with the fact that if you want to buy a world-class player now, you're spending over £100 million, euros, whatever it may be. You're not getting world-class for less than £100 million now. We've seen that. I mean, Nicolas Pepe, a classic example, Arsenal spent £72 million on him. He doesn't look as good as he's cracked up to be. Now, maybe that's him just teething problems in the Premier League. Maybe that's just him getting used to a new team, a new environment, a new style of football. Maybe, he's, maybe he really is as good. But it is crazy to think that you are not buying a finished article when you're spending 72 million euros. No wonder the clubs are now starting to emphasise on, well, if we can create our own 72 million euro talent, why not do that? You know, why not bring up a, a youth player? And it's something that Chelsea have always shunned. But now through Frank Lampard, they're forced to embrace it because of the, tra the transfer ban. And it's a bit and look, like and look at the results. It's a bit like if you know the old story about uh, Major League Baseball, the the Moneyball story. Whereas the Oakland Athletics, you know, years ago couldn't compete with the Yankees and the Boston Red Sox and the big clubs in, in baseball. So they had to go away of buying players to fit their system. They had to develop their youth. They had to get a make it make the team better by really smart investments. And you see clubs that have come up and done really well. You know, you look at, look at likes of Burnley don't have a massive transfer budget, but you know, Sean Dyche has got has squeezed every juice. Of, of skill or, or you know determination out of that team to become a, a competitive team in the Premier League, whose only real goal each year is really to, to try and maybe crack the top ten and stay in the league as yeah. a priority every year and have a good cup run. Teams like Burnley, um, you, you see them sort of season season in season out achieve that. And there's, there's a few other clubs you kind of cluster in there. Leicester have probably got bigger ambitions, but Leicester are a good example of a team. But that, they're a that, great example of a well-run team. Well-run club, good, good, good policies, good procedures, good scouting. You know, fine bargains. You know, Jamie Vardy came from non-league football, didn't he? And to be being an English international, you know, goal scorer of the highest level. So teams that can get bargains, develop players, uh, build a team, build a squad, really build playing in the collective spirit is where we're seeing some of those teams come through. And you know, it's what we've seen. You know, it, it, we do we do at times take a bit of a pot shot at Pep Guardiola and a bit of a pot shot at Jurgen Klopp, but having having very expensive assembled teams. But they seem to play as a team. They're joint up in their philosophy and their way of thinking. Some of the clubs don't have the luxury of those funds, so they have to go about you know player recruitment in a slightly different way. Yeah, that's true. When you couple a well-run club, a great philosophy, with as many funds as you can throw at a project, you get Manchester City. And I think that's what the the, the current gold standard, not just perhaps in the Premier League, but a lot of people would say even in Europe, despite the fact that Manchester City have not done it in the Champions League as yet. They've never made a final of the Champions League. We're watching Brighton, Hove Albion boss it against Tottenham Hotspur. I'm not kidding you. They're 1-0 up through that bizarre goal scored by Malpe. Uh, Hugo Lloris has been substituted off and he's been replaced. The Frenchman seems to have seems to have uh, picked up a pretty serious arm injury that we're waiting for further news on. But in the meantime, Spurs are struggling to gain a foothold in this match. Brighton having the majority of the play. They're passing the ball around with aplomb. They've created one or two half openings. Nothing clear cut thus far. But Spurs haven't really been able to get going. And we're 18 minutes into this encounter. It's worrying times for Mauricio Pochettino and Spurs. Back to the football in a few moments time, just breaking away for another update from the rugby. Third and final game of today's Rugby World Cup action underway. Yeah, we're just in the second try for the host Japan. Japan, of course, taking on some uh, fantastic win last week against Ireland. A real big upset there in the Rugby World Cup. And we've just seen them from a driving mall. It was uh, 
It's been rumbled over the Samoan line. It's a, it's a try to, I think, the Japanese number eight, which takes them to a pretty comfortable lead now. With that try, they lead 25 points, uh, 24 points to 12 with a very kickable conversion to come. So Japan seemingly in control against Samoa. Uh, conversion to come. They've just rumbled over for a try. They lead 24 points to 12. That's Japan, the hosts, leading Samoa. Um, just a quick observation. I know that uh, you've been involved in the Arabian Gulf League um, action this weekend, uh, Robbie Greenfield, as have I as well. It's an observation I, I made whilst I was doing my game on Thursday Thursday night. I don't know if, if it's one that you've, you, you've been making over the last couple of um, uh, weeks as well, that we've been able to uh, provide a bit of English commentary for the Oregon Gulf League. When you, when, you know, we sit here on a Saturday, we watch Premier League, and we talk about the Championship and things like that. When I'm sitting there on a Thursday night, and I'm looking at some of the international talent, and I'm, and I'm, you know, there was a, one lad that was playing in this game on the weekend, uh, a young Argentine lad who's been brought in uh, by uh, Shabab Al Ali for this season. Yep. And I just thought, you're world class. You are properly world class. Yeah. Now, I know he's playing in the Arabian Gulf League, but I was, it was that sort of... Why have you not been picked up for a championship side? And what is the gulf between players? I mean, do players go down roads where they go, look, I just want to travel the world and, 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 and be a bit of a journeyman man footballer or, as opposed to others? Because I'd love to get some sort of gauge on standards, as it were. Yeah, it's interesting. I think you get, you get a lot of Brazilian... I mean, I think journeyman is, is, a, is a slightly derogatory term no, perhaps to use, but... You get a lot is of. Bra only, get a lot of I suppose the only reason, the only justification of that is that a lot of the, uh, the, the the journeyman players I see there is because they are thirty plus or whatever. You're thinking, okay, if you haven't made it in that time, um, y you're looking for opportunities in other parts of yeah, the world. Yeah, I mean, what what they've done with the loophole of, of foreign players now, they've got youngsters. Yeah. Actually, there's a couple of, in the game that I did on the weekend between Sharjah and Alain, two, two of the stronger teams in the division. They've got a couple of French nationals, nineteen year olds. Yeah. They've got a couple of young Brazilians as well. And perhaps they will emerge into into fully fledged players of a star status. I mean, Igor Coronado, I've not seen a better player in the Arabian Golf League. He was, I mean, he was Player of the Year last season on, on route to, to driving Sharjah all the way through to that first yeah. title success in 23 years. But if you look at his track record and, and his back catalogue of clubs that he's played for, Milton Keynes Dons, um, he's played for Palermo in Serie B, and he scored nine goals in 42 appearances for Palermo. 16 in 25 appearances last season for Sharjah. Yeah. He's already got three goals this season. So I think players who are of a, let's, let's say, second rung uh, club calibre, because they're not Premier League, they're not La Liga, they're not, let's be honest, with all the best of intentions, you know, they're not the Bundesliga, they're not those kind of players, but they're maybe just a rung below that. They're able to shine in this division. So I think that gives you a kind of Good, good, a good insight into the standard and I've got to be honest Eagle Coronado to me I was watching him absolutely like you were thinking this guy's absolutely world class he can do everything he can defend he's brilliant with the ball at his feet he can pick a pass he's accurate he's got a great shot you know he knows he knows how to run a game he knows how to position himself he knows what, which runs to make which passes to pick I mean he was pulling the strings was Igor Coronado and Alain had some great players as well the Togolese international up front Kojo Labba looks a dangerous striker They've got some good players, a sprinkling of good Emirati talent as well, and and, and you know that's that, that would be what the, the makeup of the do best you know, clubs in the Raven Golf League. Do you know? And again, I, I don't want to put you on the spot, but we're going to anyway. Go but, on. Or maybe Arch, you know as well, but given your uh, extensive knowledge and work in sports in this region, the comparisons of of of, Premi of Premier League footballers here in the Arabian Gulf 
is it, I mean, obviously contracts are worked out individually, but if we took a sort of average medium of what a, a footballer here in the Arabian Gulf League gets paid yeah. week in, week out, compared to, is, is, is it a comparison with um, Championship or I, League One or, 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 or elsewhere around the world? I think Chris would be the man on that. I would be speculating if I, um, if I had a guess on that. I think that the top, top talents that get brought in, you know, um, uh, the likes of Igor Coronado, Alvaro Negredo for, for Al Nasser, I mean, those kind of guys would, would be on pretty good money, I'd say. Who, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised. Who was the Gian? The Asamo Gian. I mean, Gian. He, he yeah. left, I think, a Premier League club at the time, Sunderland, to come and play for Alain. And I think one of the reasons he would have he would have done that was probably the salary related. Yeah. I so think I they think they get paid better. They get paid better comparative to the level of football than they would do if they were duking it out in the championship or, yeah. or another such size. Perhaps that's why you don't see championship clubs pick up the best talents yeah. from from the Arabian Golf League. And I think the local players don't really have have it within their makeup to want to go and, and try and test themselves mm. at a level. Perhaps some of them would rather be big fish in, in, in a relatively small pond as opposed to actually go. There was a lot of talk of um, Omar Abdul Rahman, yep. who has been, let's be honest, probably the most exciting talent to come out of the world of Emirati football in these last couple of years. He had a spell at Al Hilal in Saudi Arabia. He's now back. I think he's with Al Jazeera now. It was Al Jazeera, yeah. I saw him on. He came on late on Thursday night when I was doing the game down there. Uh, still, he had that awful uh, knee, knee, yeah, he did. knee, he, knee trouble he, yeah. down in Saudi Arabia. But there was a lot of talk of Arsenal being interested in him a couple of years ago. Whether he would have embraced that and whether he would have actually wanted to go and really try and fight for a place in the Arsenal first team as opposed to being the main man in the Arabian Golf League or in, or in the Saudi Pro League or somewhere, somewhere like that where he's, he's a celebrity here, he's, he's an absolute megastar, yeah. whereas he's just another squad player at Arsenal. Now, whether that would uh, would have appealed to him, as it as it transpires, he never made that move. But there was talk of it, and, no, and, and, yeah. and I think it's important. I think for 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 this nation to to become better and to become, you know, perhaps in a better position to try and qualify for World Cups and such like, I think it would be great if uh, if some players did choose to seek a career abroad. They yeah. always levelled that accusation at, at England, didn't they? And the English footballers being reticent to travel, yeah. whereas European footballers and South American footballers have always done that. They've been very nomadic in the way they've played their football. I find it fascinating about the Raven Golf League this year. Um, uh, and again, I highly recommend to any of our listeners out there to download the AG League app, get all the details on there. It's really good, actually. It's a great little resource. gives you an idea as to, as to who's come into the league and the games that are coming up, etc. But the thing that also fascinates me and the, the few games that I've done is the number of of international players that you're seeing now here, as you mentioned, the loopholes that are in place. Yeah, we uh, for a long time have uh, it's sort of been a, a running joke that every single team's got a Brazilian in them, etc. And there's been that fascination with uh, the Brazilian players playing here in the UAE. Uh, it was almost, you know, like a, a, a team needed to have. You could have yeah. three internationals and one Brazilian. Uh, yeah, exactly. uh, but that, that was your sort of your roster. But now, you know, I've seen the, the Serbian lad uh, Milos Kasanovic was playing yeah. uh, in the game this weekend. Uh, we, I've, I've commentated on a couple of Togolese players. Japan, Alain Shiatani, yeah. Sukasa Shiatani. Uh, there's an Uzbekistani for for Sharjah as well, Shukarov. Um, so yeah, you're absolutely right. There's uh, there's more. There's a more cosmopolitan mix of talent coming into the league, and 
I've honestly, I've honestly, there's been one or two duds. I commentated on um, Al Nassel, the, the Bird of Bay Derby, they call it. Al Nassel taking on Al Wassel. It was a, let's be honest, it was a poor game, and that's putting it kindly. I don't think that, I can't remember. In fact, I can remember one chance which fell to the the young player of the year, the Emirati Ali Salah, um, which was actually very well saved by the, the Al Nassel goalkeeper. But one chance in a game, and then the game on the weekend on, on Thursday night, Sharjah hosting Alain, 3-2 it finished. Um, I know there was a, an absolute humdinger between, I think, Bani Asan Al-Wada last yeah. night. 4-3, I think that, that one was. was. was yeah, so um, th there is some entertainment, and I I've really enjoyed it. It's been a, so a great experience. So that game that you did over the, on Thursday, that sees Sharjah still unbeaten this season. Sharjah yeah. are the only team with a perfect record. They're yeah. the only team that have won their first three league matches. It was between the two teams that were carrying that perfect record in. I think Shabab Al-Akli drew 0-0 on Thursday a little earlier. Yeah. And, uh, and Sharjah and, and Alain were, were, were the only teams with the perfect record. Sharjah managed to win it at the death, a winner in the 91st minute. It was very <laughs> dramatic. They were 2-1 down as late on as the 88th minute, and they ended up winning 3-2. It was, it was drama. Um, I lost my voice, actually. One thing that I did, uh, I have noticed, and I must sort of make quick mention, I know we're talking about conditions, playing conditions over in Japan. Um, and I think one thing I need to sort of correct myself on a couple of the games that I've done recently is that I've, you know, might have been a little bit critical about some of the games at the beginning and, and the level of application of some of the players until I walked out of the commentary yeah. booth and realised that, oh, I was in the air conditioning. Yeah. Uh, uh, the playing conditions, I mean, you've got to think for the, the players. I mean, energy sapping well, doesn't tell half the story. That's why they take a drinks break on the 30th and the 60th minutes, because they, they are perspiring so much in humid, warm conditions. I mean, they're playing football in 34, <laughs> 35 degrees of heat. This is not normal and it's humid. We know in the evenings it gets even more, um, the humidity rises even further. And, and yeah, you're absolutely right. There's no doubt that some of these games have been played at a fairly pedestrian pace, but I'm sure as the weather continues to get cooler, things will start to, to speed up in the Arabian Golf League. And I'm actually looking forward to it because Sharjah were surprise winners last year. They've come out and they're the only team who've made a perfect three out of three yeah. this, this year. And a lot of people were thinking, Alain have strengthened. Shabab Al-Akli won the Cups. They've looked really good. You know, they, they may have lost the Super Cup to Sharjah, but they've looked really good yeah. in, in their matches thus far. Al Jazeera are tipped to mount a challenge. Al Wada have some talented players. So there's lots of teams shooting for Sharjah, and yet they're the ones suddenly that are trying to do what Alain did. The last time a team defended the league successfully was back in 2013 when Alain were able to do that. So it's not easy. Keep your thoughts coming in. Text us on 4001. If you're in and around the vicinity, anywhere near Barasti, do come and join us. The game is very much on here. Going to take a short break when we come back. We'll tell you what's happening in the Premier League, in the Championship, over in La Liga, and, of course, the Rugby World Cup. You're listening to The Grill. Join the conversation. Text 4001 or message us for free on the Dubai i 103.8 app. There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcast at DubaiEye1038.com.